Welcome to the 34 Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. Welcome back to part three of our 34 Circe episode on the matriarchies of old Europe. In this episode, we discuss some of the characteristics of these matriarchal civilizations. Listen in. And I'm wondering, though, as we talk about those particular connections that these cultures had, you were leading towards, Vicky, about the idea of the these agricultures matriarchies that were being settled at that point and then eventually of course the conflict that they have with the warrior culture that comes in yes exactly these places. so the the people who migrated the natufian people who uh, migrated and developed into the anatolian cultures and uh, they then in 7000 bce we know now from the dna records they moved uh, as a people, I mean, obviously not all of them left, but a large group of migrants left Anatolia on boats and went to Cyprus. The island of Cyprus is in between Turkey and Greece, mm-hmm. and, and they settled there. Some settled and stayed there doing agriculture, and others went to Crete. 7000 BCE is the first settlement at Canassos in Crete. Mm-hmm. Um, they went into mainland Greece and created the cultures of Achilleon, uh, uh, the culture of Achilleon, where Gimbutas first uh, dug. Uh, that was part of the Sesclo culture in Greece. And then uh, a thousand years later, it's, it's you know, a new development called the Dimini, but it's kind of all the same uh, people, ancestral people. And then those, so those two, those two cultures in Greece... Uh, have a lot of wonderful archaeology that is part of uh, part of the material that Gimbutas used to bring up her interpretations of how people were living in those communal settings in uh, in the mainland of Greece. And then they, she also dug a site in uh, Macedonia that was the same, uh, the old European type of uh, of culture. <coughs> Sorry, I have to get a drink. We are taxing you <laughs> sorely here. You're giving a lecture practically. My goodness, thank you. I'm probably getting too excited. <laughs> no problem. Excitement is a good thing. Indeed, so. indeed. So so much of the material that we get from Gimbutas comes from those cultures in Greece. Maybe I'll uh, read you a, a little paragraph that I wrote about her work in, in, the, in how she interpreted. Um, she labored to describe and document a civilization in which women were prominent in religious life, honored with symbolic items in graves, that pottery making was in women's hands, sacred script in, was inscribed on the bodies of female figurines, there were hundreds of female figurines found just at Achillean, I think 200, 
Wow. And the girls were important heiresses in a hereditary female line. Gimbutas emphasized the non-separation between what we call mundane and sacred, as well as two interdependent contiguous aspects of one deity, is what she said, or one cyclic flow of birth, death, and regeneration. Mm. She documented that weaving and pottery making took place in temple workshops, that birthing and the baking of bread were done in the courtyards of temples, overseen by what she called the pregnant birth bird goddess. So, you know, that's where I started to just try to uh, summarize a little bit some of what she brought forth about these cultures. And then these same people, again, not all of them, obviously, some stayed, but many uh, traveled north and migrated as far as the Danube River. And so they, uh, at the Danube River, they encountered the hunter-gatherers who had lived there for some time since the Paleolithic, and uh, they, there was some intermixing of those two cultures. Not a lot, interestingly. They, they lived side by side for quite a while, I think at least a thousand years. Um, peacefully, side peacefully. by side. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, again, they shared the same matriarchal values. It's just that this was a farming people moving into the territory. And within a thousand or fifteen hundred years, uh, one scholar I read said that the DNA of the hunter gatherers showed that they had begun to uh, probably do farming. They at least had begun to eat the food uh, of the of the farming people. Right. Um, and so, and one of the big- can I can I just ask you to jump in? And in, in this sense, you were talking about agriculture and how scholars had been using that as making the hunter gatherer and glorifying just the hunting aspect of it, and making it seem as if agriculture had undermined that. You were bringing up how agriculture was part of these matriarchal developments. So, could you say a little bit about what the these agricultural societies were like? how that influenced, how, if, if, or if not, it was influenced by them being matriarchal and then just then it kind of the connection between that you're saying between them and the hunter gatherers that live side by side with them. Yes. Well, the place that, uh, this is a place that we talked about once before it's called Lipinski Veer on the Danube river mm. uh, at what's called the iron gates of the Danube river. There was a, a tremendous whirlpool there and huge uh, salmon like, uh, fish, and um, and it was a fishing. The hunter gatherers there were primarily eating fish, and so that's just one example of how uh, the farming people and the hunter gatherers were able to uh, to mix it up. I mean, Gimbuta said there's no major dichotomy between the hunter gatherers and incipient agriculturalists. In other words, they were hunter-gatherers as they began to settle down and become farmers. And, and what the criticism that the progressives bring against agriculture has to do with all the terrible things that happened in agriculture after patriarchy. So by the, four, the end of the fourth millennium, you know, they were clear-cutting trees, they were uh, doing big irrigation projects, you know, they were they were going against 
nature and the rhythms of nature to get higher yields. And they were doing mass production in every way. This is in Mesopotamia uh, and places like that. But um, as, the, uh, as the farmers uh, came into contact in this particular instance, the, that, you know, there were no struggles because they're more or less coming from the same place. There's a kind of well, again, what Gimbutas said was there's a complex and consistent pattern of religious devotion centered around a multifaceted female deity. And she talked about the climate being very favorable toward the agriculturalists. It got warmer. Uh, the, there was more fertility. It was easier. Uh, but she says that they had uh, much increased populations. I mean, all the scholars agree about this. Some of them think it's very bad, like it was yeah. the beginning of uh, population overgrowth. But but I don't think they saw it that way because it was in harmony. It was right. they were in harmony with one another and they were in harmony with nature and their agriculture was ritualized and a part of their religion. It was actually a religious undertaking. And I don't mean religious, like the rules coming down from some deity on high. I mean, in the way that they perceived of themselves as part of the body of the great mother and that the great mother provided all that they needed. And, and what they had to do was simply to uh, respond and tend, you know, much more like a garden. Uh, right. And she, Gimbutas talks about there being no territorial aggression, a total absence of lethal weapons, which she said implies a peaceful coexistence between all groups and individuals. And she's talking here at, uh, about the time period of 6500 to 5500 BCE. So this is when the first old European cultures are established. And uh, they start making, uh, you know, the world's most beautiful pottery. They start making ceramics that are just so refined and elegant that yeah. there are art historians who say that nothing has ever uh, come that high again, you know, in terms of uh, highly evolved artistic expression. Wow. And figurines start in the seventh millennium in Greece and then uh, in the old European cultures, uh, lots of figurines, all female, all female. Um, there weren't uh, male, I forget now, I can't give you a, a perfect date because I didn't write it down, but I think it's uh, maybe by the fifth millennium we see an occasional male, um, but not very often. Uh, the, and the early ones were all female. They they speak of them. Notice this when you're reading astro uh, astro <laughs> sorry, um, archaeological text, you know, anthropomorphic. They're anthropomorphic females. They're anthropomorphic vases. They're anthropomorphic, uh, you know, thrones. Uh, they're, they're female. Right, right. <laughs> they're, you know, they're not uh, generic. Right. They're even the, in, even the quote unquote inanimate objects, like a vase yeah. is like, a, yeah. like a vase with breasts. I mean, right, that, right. It has a gender. It has gender yeah. characteristics. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and Maria Gimbutas talked about their intense religious ceremonialism and the religious ceremonialism was, was uh, performed or facilitated by women priestesses. Right. And so uh, in the 
in the fifth millennium, uh, trade becomes more intensified. I they don't say for sure. I mean, I don't. You, how do you know? But there was always trade, uh, right, from right. the Aegean area to as far as Chateau Huyuk even, and the obsidian from Chateau Huyuk went everywhere. And so, you know, there's always been trade. But by the fifth millennium, it was very, very intensive. And the thing that happened in the fifth millennium is they discovered copper, and they discovered gold, and they mined both of them. Copper had to be, you know, it has to be melted off of the malachite and azurite. Uh, right. right. And, uh, and then it drips out and then you have copper. And so they somehow discovered that process in, in, in an area, you might think of it as being Bulgaria. That's where some of the first and largest old European civilizations happened. Right. Uh, Karanovo is a name that I used last time we talked. It's uh, it's one of the more famous ones. And I noticed, uh, you know, these these uh, sites that start in Greece, like Achilleon and the and Anza in Macedonia. They're they're what archaeologists call tells, T E L L, mm-hmm. uh, and they're they're these large hills that uh, are formed by the town being. Uh, built of um, mud and wood, I think. And over time, you know, it degrades and they build again and they build again. And and for 1,500 years, for instance, at Caranovo, they built these towns, the, the town of Caranovo in the same place over and over again. So when I saw that tell in Bulgaria, it was like 50 feet high. <laughs> really it was huge uh, yeah yeah and and apparently now they're digging there again which is very interesting there there are a lot of tells in in the bulgarian and romanian area and uh lots of them and they haven't been excavated and when they have been a little bit excavated they haven't been published so we don't know much but but i did pull out something there's a place called tell you not site tell you not site and they're uh they're digging there now and they have been since 2013 and the location is Pizardzik and there's this figurine in the old European material that I have a replica of at my house I love her she's called the lady of Pizardzik and she's a seated figure on a stool a oracular stool or a throne and she's covered in old European script this oh wow yeah she's gorgeous she's in the Bucharest Museum if anyone wants to see her (laughs) I do I'm gonna look that up (laughs) but the thing that I got excited about you know is uh is that they're still learning and they're still going back into these sites and so we'll you know they'll just be bringing up more and more Uh, right but the Caranovo culture for example they they used they somehow did powdered gold, you know, and they used it on the ceramics uh, for a long time. It was their sort of dominant form of uh, of ceramic expression in the early fifth millennium, and they used it after the firing. So they painted with it in some way. Oh wow! Yeah, they're just beautiful. You know, they're amazing. Um, and and so that's what I really wanted to get across somehow. The same goes for the weaving. They did fabulous weaving. Of course, pottery lasts and weaving doesn't. Right, so right. We know they did amazing weaving because of 
paintings on walls and because of the 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 pieces of the looms and the loom weights and all those things that uh, don't disintegrate and so we have those from the different uh, houses and temples. Um, so Vicky, how how would we? It sounds like what you're saying about this development of this old Europe culture is that they begin to develop different kinds of artistic movements, different sorts of um, social arrangements. So how would you define for the listener? what you would call the main aspects of the old Europe civilization. I mean, obviously we have matriarchy at the center of it, but what distinguishes it and especially what's going to distinguish it from the people who are coming in soon in our timeline to uh, kind of clash with them? Uh-huh. Well, the fact uh, that what was new about them, I mean, I don't think they were making up new social uh, forms, I think they were living their matriarchal social organization in a way that they had always done. But now they're settled and there are thousands of people in some cases living in one uh, town, in one of these tells. And uh, so they're developing uh, further um, expressions of the consensus process, the conflict resolution process, the the harmonious, sustainable agricultural process, and so on. And the, and their artistic process, is, like I say, is just off the charts. It's, it's incredible. They had more- so. Would that be what? Uh, just for an idea, is that something that distinguishes them from some of the other cultures at that time? Would it be the size, the number of people who were involved? Well, who, who are you talking and- about? Sorry? What, what cultures are you thinking of? When, since we're talking about old Europe, I want to make sure that the listener understands what we mean by it and where it is. So the in old Europe, we should not put it all under one rubric. Is it really under one rubric when we're talking about the people in, in Bulgaria and in the Ukraine, or is it separate? Is, when no, you say old Europe, is it same. one? It's all the same. In a okay, long, that's what I mean. generic way, we're looking at one kind of what Maria Gimbutas called the goddess civilization. What distinguishes them in particular in this case, because there's matriarchies everywhere. We've been talking about how there's matriarchies spread out all of them. That's what, that's what I'm trying to drive. Okay, so what makes this distinct, and particularly for our conversations uh, and episodes going forward, is just the, is the size of them, and, and it sounds like also the artistic scope of some of them. Would yeah, that be fair? Yes, but at the same time, in the fifth millennium in China, uh, the agricultural people there are also making fantastic pots. Okay. And great. some of the motifs are so similar that uh, one husband and wife team uh, that studied the Kukuteni Tripolia culture and has really studied the pottery. Uh, which is, it is some of the most beautiful uh, pottery of all of old Europe, the, the one in the Ukraine. Um, these, this husband-wife pair, I, uh, gosh, I wish I could remember. I think it's Lassiterus or something is the last name, but again, I don't have it at my fingertips. They uh, have done a wonderful uh, book and, you know, they're experts in the field. And, um, and they, they make some comparisons with the Yangshou culture in China from the same period. Hmm. And if they actually might have had some sort of cultural contact, 
I don't know okay. if that's true, but it's very interesting. Uh, they show uh, female display figures on some of the pottery. They show uh, you know, certain motifs like the way snakes are drawn or the way uh, just they, they make comparisons that they feel are uh, so identical so that there's actually some relationship which I find fascinating, but is so against the rules of archaeology. You're not supposed to say anybody went anywhere. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that, that could be really interesting for stuff we'll talk about in the future. So again, not to overlook any other cultures. I'm just trying to help people understand this particular one. So old Europe is a very large matriarchy that's developing. That's one of the things that makes it stand out. There's a large population, and there are some really interesting artistic developments that are occurring that's producing uh, a culture that has its own distinction. Would that be fair to say? That is fair to say. And it lasted for such a long time and it uh, spread over such a large territory that there are actually different names that people might be familiar with or not, uh, starting with the Sesclo culture in Greece. And then uh, the first culture, the first pottery culture that they looked at around the Danube River uh, was called uh, Saracevo. And then after that, that sort of developed into, this is, there's lot, not like anybody is coming and uh, displacing them and replacing them or anything like that. It's much more of a development happening. So the Saracevo pottery first around the Danube, then the Vincha culture became extremely well articulated in the Balkans. And then the Karanovo tell and many uh, other tells around the site of Karanovo that are called Karanovo culture. And then the Kukuteni uh, Tripolia. Now, some uh, scholars think that it should just be called all of it Kukuteni. But uh, any where are these, Vicky? Just uh, for the listener, where in, where in the world? What would they be now? So Bulgaria, Romania. Yeah, and then Hungary, and uh, and and then along up in Bulgaria, if you go north, uh, the Karanovo is north of the Danube, and then if you go further north and <laughs> turn right, you know you'll eventually get to the Ukraine. Um, and, and all of that was populated by these large groups of old European goddess-worshipping cultures. So what, what happened and, to them? And I think, Sorry, I, I think an interesting point to think about is how many more of these quote-unquote cultural sites are out there that have not been discovered or um, uh, dug in yet yeah, yeah, that you know yeah, that that yeah. the one at Karanovo is the one we know about but but it doesn't mean that that was the only place that this matriarchal culture existed it's just a place that we found it we found evidence of it and they know that these other tells exist I mean by by no means was it the only one they're right there the whole the whole territory you know this large territory uh, from all around the Black Sea on the uh, western side and north is, uh, and all across Bulgaria and into Romania and uh, and into Serbia, Yugoslavia was the um, the real home of the Vincha culture. So it's it's all one thing, you know. It's developing, uh, and there's some. 
probably some joining and, uh, you know, who knows, but, uh, but basically, no, you can think of it as one large expression of a, of a great mother culture that established itself and sustained itself beautifully and peacefully and artistically and ritually for thousands of years. Mm. And then that in, sounds like heaven, doesn't it? Well, doesn't it? The golden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's a dream come true, if you ask me, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they haven't asked me yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened to the dream? Where did it go? Well, it what happened, crushed I guess, us up. Crushed beneath the boots of patriarchy. Patriarchy.